Acts chapter 11. We were the first church that, uh, I'm going to call him Pastor Howard, okay, since we have the same first name. We were the first church who had been out there uh, to encourage, other than his home church. Uh, they have sent out people sporadically. He's had some family members go out there. But we were the first church who actually was there and spent time with them and uh, helped them minister in that community. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. It was uh, the, uh, the journey out there. Uh, we often, we kind of joke about, you know, yeah, you got to go two and a half days to get there. But that's part of the adventure in a lot of ways. You know, in two days you can be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's a completely different world than it is here. And I often told the young guys, I said, can you believe we're still in America? Because since I've been home, all I can see is jungle. We live in the jungle. It's just raining and trees and bushes and greenery. It's just jungle everywhere. And out there you can see. Uh, we, we, left, we left a mountain in Flagstaff. And I could still see that mountain 90 miles away. We traveled 90 miles before I finally lost sight of that mountain. It's just an extraordinary country and extraordinary in people's beliefs when you have the opportunity to talk to them. And so it's good to get out of the comfort zone and get out of what you know and experience for yourself something that's different. It's not, it's, it's not always easy. Um, I will say, and I appreciate, I, I appreciate nobody was really talking about this, but we, we went to the park one day and we were passing out bags, just giving out information. There was a big farmer's market there and there were swarms of people and we got to every entrance and we didn't go through the, the market. Some of them did. They bought things and then handed them uh, their stuff and everybody there was pretty receptive because you are spending money for them. Um, but, you know, a lot of people turned us down. A lot of people rejected. You don't see that too much here. A lot, of, a lot of people will still take your stuff. I, I, would, I would dare say only 40% of the people took my stuff. A lot of people would say no. And usually if you put a kid doing it, a small child, they'll always take them from them. But no, they wouldn't. I had Carter with me. Carter's about seven years old. They would never, uh, not never, uh, but they would often decline him. They didn't, they didn't want the stuff. And... Uh, it's very easy to focus on that. It's very easy to focus on the negative things when you're trying to do outreach. But, to say, but, but despite all of that, I had a number of really, really good conversations. Uh, matter of fact, Carter got on to me one time. Uh, he, says, he says, Pastor Ricky, I'm doing all the work. You're just standing there talking to people. And I said, well, Carter... The goal is to talk to people. It's, we, we initiate the conversation by giving them a, a bag and just letting them know we're, wanting a, we're a new church and wanting to share information. But the, the goal is to establish relationships. He says, oh, okay. And, and we'd had a good time. I had a great time with him uh, and uh, just uh, uh, being able to do that together. Now, I had some preacher boys with me. And I felt like this trip was very, very important to them because it was an eye-opening experience. Uh, we went to Wyoming last year, and Wyoming was pretty receptive. 
you're going into an area where everyone is predominantly Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we, uh, we went there because you, you see those churches around and you hear certain things, but you really don't know. You really don't know what they all believe. And so I, I wanted the, ex- the opportunity for them to get to learn that for themselves. Um, here's, a, here's a pretty cool thing about the, the church there. Anytime they built a neighborhood, part of the land in the neighborhood was donated to the church And one of the first things they built was a church in every neighborhood. I thought, man, if Baptists could do that, right? Um, Here's another thing. Every person in the community is assigned to a ward. So what is a ward? Well, in that local church there, they would have... They would start with a service, and once it hit capacity, they started another service. Once it hit capacity, they started another one. And so basically what would happen is in one church building, they had three churches. And everything was very well kept, very well manicured. Everything was very, very nice. You notice those things. And uh, I was just thinking, now, and I asked this question. I said, well, can people, can they choose which one they want to go to. And they didn't. They were assigned to a particular one. And I said, well, do they get to choose their pastor? You know, is there, is there a pastor? Uh, because we will move around and say, well, I like that pastor. I like the church, but I don't like the pastor. Or I like the pastor, but I don't like the church. It's not that way. You have a bishop who oversees that ministry. And I said, well, who preaches? Well, he calls on different people uh, to preach. Well, not really preach, but to teach the lesson that day. And I learned that every church everywhere across the world teaches the same lesson. The same lesson. It's assigned. And so they already know where they're going. And so if, if the uh, leader knows that this person can really give some stuff, they might be the only speaker. But sometimes some people, you know, they can only give five or ten minutes. And so they'll have multiple speakers just on the same subject. So I thought that was interesting. I thought the fact that three different congregations could meet in the same building. Man, if Baptists could do that, right? We can't do that. And I thought, well, that's, uh, I admire them for that. We took them to the temple. There's a large temple. And uh, I think it was the first temple in Utah is built there. They're redoing it. And uh, so we went through the visitor center. And uh, Pastor Howard asked me, he says, is everybody in your group pretty sound on what, on, on their Bible? And I just, I just told him, I said, everybody I know is pretty sound, and if they're not, it's my fault. And, uh, and I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure they can handle it. And so we went in there, and there was a young lady who was our tour guide. Her name is Lee. I want you to pray for Lee. Lee, come here from New Zealand. And a uh, very young lady. And uh, this was her mission work, and so she came here, and uh, she gave us the tour. And the first thing you do is you walk through the doors, and they have your seat. And there's different stations that look like the home, and they play a video. And there was a family who was out in the, in the rocks of Utah and different things, and the little boy, their son, fell over the edge. And they thought they lost him, and they got there, and they found out he only fell about five feet, and he was able to get back up. But it scared them. 
and the next video they're sitting there and they're talking it's in the evening and they were talking about the situation and the father says I thought we lost him and he was thinking about all of that and and uh, he just said he, he made this statement he says it's hard to believe not long ago they had the baby and they said it's hard to believe not long ago that baby was in heaven because they believe that the your, the baby when it's born came from heaven when it came that's an interesting I, I thought well I jotted that down I thought well that's 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 new and uh, so we we went through there and we got to the end she says what did you think about that how did it make you feel I said well it was very family oriented and um, she says right and it was all about the family being able to go to heaven together so I finally asked the question well what is what is uh, she she's often mentioning the gospel the gospel the gospel so I said what is the gospel the gospel is not the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ as defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. It was completely different. It was not the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we asked, well, what about, uh, we asked about different pictures. There were pictures of the temple and different things. And there was one particular place in the temple that was called the baptismal room. So I asked about that. Well, what is the baptismal room? And that is a place that if you become a believer and you become a part of the church, you can go to that room and be baptized for your forefathers who have died but was never a part of the church. You can baptize, be baptized as a substitution for them. Uh, well, that's, all right, that's interesting. She could not be baptized for her grandfather because she was a young lady, so she could be baptized for her grandmother. A young man could be baptized for uh, any male that was in his family. And I said, well, okay, well, what good does that do? And she went on to say, well, we believe in three heavens. There is the earthly, there's the terrestrial, there's the celestial, there's, there's three different levels of heaven. Okay? And so I asked, well, Pastor Ricky says, well, what's your belief on hell? There is no hell. There is no hell. Well, that's convenient. So everybody goes to one of the three heavens. And those who are in it's a, their form of a purgatory without the fire. They're there and they're still being presented with the opportunity after they have died. They're still being presented with the opportunity to become, to believe. And then move to the next level of heaven. That's not the same thing the Bible says. Amen. And so you, you ask these questions, and as Christy had mentioned, we asked some questions because, one, I wanted to hear what they had to say, and I wanted our guys to hear that because I wanted them to know as young preachers, uh, the world doesn't, the world may say they believe the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible. We were at the park, and I had this lady come up, and she had this very strange outfit, and uh, she looked like a Bible-believing Baptist, I'll be honest with you. A very strange outfit, because I've seen them. And uh, she came up to me, and I said, and I just happened to turn, and there she was, had this big Uncle Sam-type hat. And she says, I'm a missionary. I said, so am I. And uh, I said, I'm here telling people about Jesus. And she had this cardboard thing on her, on her chest, and she says, well, first of all, do you believe the King James Bible? I said, yes, ma'am, I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. And she says, well, 
have you ever read the Book of Mormon? I said, yes, ma'am, I've read parts of the Book of Mormon. She had asked, well, how, do you know anything about the doctrines and the covenants, the Book of the Doctrines and Covenants? I said, I know of it, but I've never read it. The Pearl of Great Price, all of these different revelations that are added to, to the Bible. So all of these things. And there were times where they would quote the Bible, but they would take it completely out of context. And they would say, well, we believe what you believe. They don't believe what we believe. They don't believe. They don't believe what the Bible says. The gospel, the, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. Amen? And the gospel defined is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there was a lot of unique things there that I, I, wanted, I wanted people to hear. And uh, so it was an opportunity there. And they are roughly 70% uh, part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Why is it called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Well, they believe that the church is corrupt. That there was, there's a focus on the temple. There was the temple, the tabernacle in the wilderness. There was Solomon's temple. And uh, then they have their temple that they have today. All began by Joseph Smith when he received the uh, tablets written by um, Moroni. He was the only one that got those. And so all this is, this is all part of what we're, we're hearing. And you realize that there is a great need for truth. Very wholesome, very family-oriented community. I've, I'm going to tell you, a wonderful, wonderful place to live. If, if you're a musician and you'd like to do something else, move to St. George, Utah. It is beautiful. Y'all remember that video I shot last week? When I looked at that, it looked like that I was photoshopped in front of something. I promise you that was the real deal. I was standing in some beautiful scenery overlooking St. George. When we first got there, we went up on a thing called Dixie Rock. Believe it or not, that, that community used to be known as Dixie. Because Brigham Young sent people to the south, missionaries to the south, learned about their crops and tried to bring, brought farmers back to Utah and was trying to make it the cotton capital of the country. They learned they couldn't grow cotton. It didn't work out. But it's known as Dixie. And so there's, there's a big D on the town that stands for Dixie. And uh, so there's a rock overlooking it. It has Dixie written on it. There's a, there's a university there now called uh, Utah Tech. It used to be called Dixie Tech. But they've changed it to Utah Tech. Uh, they're a FCS football team. They come, to, they come to UNA in the October and play football. I met one of their football players. Got to witness to him. And so all of these unique things and an opportunity to have great conversations. And uh, Pastor Ricky showed me, he's, he, he went all the way to the, to the east, showed us the horizon all the way to the, just a little bit to the northwest. He says, everything you're seeing right here, that's 130,000 people. 130,000 people right here. And all of our time there, I saw three Baptist churches. There's more than that. There's more than that, I'm sure. But I, I, I only saw three. And I said, well, this is neat. Uh, because I said in, in, uh, in Morgan County, Alabama, there's a Baptist church every half mile. And I said, here, there's a church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints every quarter of a mile. And they have three congregations in each of them. And uh, so I, I looked at that. And so I, you know, I just do this. I, like to get, I start getting in the numbers. And uh, 
I found out Morgan County has about 124,000 people in it. All right? I, I have to do the numbers. How, how many is in our church compared to Morgan County? About four one-thousandth of a percent. We're considered a big church. Right? But we hit four one-thousandth of a percent. And I, I, I started telling the guys, I said, look guys... I said, let's say 70% are are turned to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I said, that means 30% don't know what they believe. Or or some do know what they believe. I said, what you got to do is you got to focus on the 30%. Right? And I just just went through there. And I said, okay, let's focus on the 30%. I said, one thing, I said, they have challenges, but we have challenges. The challenges are just different. I said, but one challenge they don't have is they don't have a bunch of churches. They only have a few. So grow your church, man. Y'all with me? So 130,000 people, I said, if if we just reach 1% of this population, and I said when there's a fact that there's not a whole lot of churches that you're really, I hate to use the word, but I'm going to say competing with, okay? You're not competing with, I know. I don't mean that. But you, you, you follow me? There's not that many places for them to choose to go. 1%. 1%. What's 1% of 130,000? What'd you say, Jeff? 1340? You know what they call that? They call that a mega church. You got me? I mean, who, who, what church wouldn't want to reach 1,300 people? Everybody can focus on the negatives of the impossibility, how challenging it is, how difficult it is. Man, I left there telling Pastor Howard, man, I love this place. God can do something really, really big here. And we just might end up back out there next year with a more aggressive approach of reaching the community. This time we were really there encouraging them. And as Mike had mentioned, there was a lot of tears being shed, especially from the kids when they saw us leave. Why? Because they're out there with nobody. They don't know anybody. Are you with me? They don't know anybody except for who they reach. The Lord led them from Georgia, their home, all the way 2,000 miles away to Utah to reach a community that doesn't know what the gospel is. Y'all follow me? There's always such a great opportunity. Well, in Acts chapter 11, I'm just about out of time. I wanted to share that with you. In Acts chapter 11... Paul, right here his name is Saul, is really a no-name. There's some people that got saved in the area of Antioch of Syria. I want you to look with me in verse 22, okay? Acts 11, verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. What what happened is some people had gotten saved there. And so they're sending Barnabas to establish a local church there. Verse 24, he was speaking of Barnabas. He was a good man. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was a man that had great faith. And as a result, much people was added to the Lord. We saw people get saved. Can I just say this? If, if people in Antioch, Syria could get saved and much people were out of the Lord, 
people anywhere can get saved. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. That's, that eventually becomes Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's where they got their start. Now, Antioch was not their hometown. That was a unique place. I want, to, I want you to consider this. That was a young church plant. It was a young mission work. And they didn't go there for a week and a half, two weeks. It didn't, but I will tell you this, it took them longer than two and a half days to get there. All right? And so they, and they didn't drive, they walked. And they get there and they start working in this church and they're there for a year. Everybody got that? Now go to chapter 13. That becomes their base church, their home church. And then you get to chapter 13. They're growing. The church is growing. Barnabas and Saul are growing. And you get to verse number 1 of chapter 13. There were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Uh, and Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And in verse 4, they begin their first missionary journey of reaching people in a world that did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who did not know God. And they go, and they go from place to place, and they run, and they see people saved, and they see people upset. I'm glad that Paul never let people who got upset discourage him, because there's always the next one. Carrie, there's always the next one. Today, somebody may say no, but there's always the next one. You just keep, you just keep looking. You just keep going after them. I'm going to tell you something today. One of the reasons that our country is in such a big trouble is because we just quit going after them. It's the truth. And we're, we're, allowing, we're allowing false teaching to spread, and we're keeping the truth silent. My goodness. They go. They're sent out. I just wanted to share this with you. It began when Barnabas was sent to help a young church plant. And there, he not only discipled believers, but he went and got another young man who was growing in the Lord, and together they became teammates. And they served in that local church until eventually the Holy Spirit calls them and says, I got something else for you to do. I want you to go plant more churches and see more people saved. I want to encourage you tonight. My goal is to have more and more mission trip opportunities. One that I'm working on is I want uh, next, next summer, toward the end of the summer, I'm hoping to take some to the Philippines with me. I'm going back uh, in a le little less than a month now. I'll be going, leaving on the 25th. I'm, Brady's graduating this year. I'm taking Brady as an intern, as an opportunity for him to experience that. And we're going to go over there, 
and we're going to help those churches, and we're going we're gonna to preach, and we're going to see people saved. We're going to witness, and we're going to help and minister and establish some things. We've already seen that ministry triple in the last year, and there are more opportunities. We're, we're working now on establishing another church plant. Oh, by the way, let me give you this. One of my newest pastors, a guy named Ralph, he has been... Uh, he has a young family, he has a young child and his daughter, I mean his wife and a young child. They just established a church. They were having to borrow one of the church vehicles to be able to get back and forth. Uh, he had stopped last week and was uh, ministering to someone, came back to the vehicle and it had caught fire. So if you happen to have $2,500 or $3,000, we need another vehicle. If you just got that laying around, I, I can tell you where to put it. And y'all got quiet. I'm just saying, I got a young man who can't get a trike. He can't get a motorcycle because he's got a little girl. And we just, Lord willing, we need to help out with that. Uh, by the way, the teenagers in the vacation Bible school raised $2,700 for the FNPP children to be able to go to summer camp. If you, if you want to know what that is, that's... That pays fully for 90, for 90 kids to go. That pays everything. But if our original goal was to cut the cost in half so more could go, that helps 180 go. Thank you for doing that. That's a big deal. I let them know that yesterday. They were very encouraged and excited about that. All right? Um, so, so we're about to get that to them. So if you got $3,000 laying around, we need to buy a good used car over there. All right? And that'll buy a good used car. So, what I, what I realize is this. Sometimes people give mission trips a hard time. You read about it and say, well, it's, it's a waste of money. It's not a waste of money if it's done right. And if it's done right, it affects, it affects you in a great way. Can I, I will say this. I, I got to hurry up here. Don't go on a mission trip if you're not going to give to missions. Amen, amen, and amen. If you're not going to give to missions, don't raise money for you to go. Every Christian ought to be a part of supporting missions because it is the Great Commission and it is going to the whole world and reaching the world. Every Christian ought to be a part of giving toward missions and supporting missions. Every, every Christian. I want more amens than that. Every Christian ought to be a part of helping the gospel go forth throughout the world in some way. All right? It's not, a, it's not a Christian vacation. It's not what it is. It is a ministry. It is work. But I'm going to tell you something. Garrett and Baker and uh, Brady had their eyes open and they saw some things that they did not realize. Every, every place in the world is not like North Alabama. People need to be saved. People need to hear the gospel. Here, here everybody says they're saved. You just got to dig a little deeper to find out they're not. Because they've been hearing it all their life. You get out there, they don't even know who Adam and Eve is. You got to start from the scratch. So you got to realize that. Okay? When you're part of a mission trip, the gospel becomes more real. When you, when you go to a place like the Philippines, and i got to take a small group. When I go, I want to make plans of figuring out how we can logistically coordinate everybody because I, I, I can't take a 15-passenger van. There just aren't any. 
and I don't want everybody going in jeepneys from one place to another. And so we've got to figure out logistically how we can work that out. It'll have to be small groups. And then we'll probably, if we go back to St. George, we'll probably fly. Just give you more of a heads up to plan for that. And uh, we'll be able to raise some money this time for that. And there's other places that I would like for us to go. Always going, going, going. You ought to go to Israel. That's a great trip. Because, man, it'll get you hungry for the Bible. Those are just great opportunities. They affect you personally. Personally. Because this is the problem that so many people have today. This is the problem that Americans have today. We are self-absorbed. We are self-absorbed. We don't want to, we'll serve to an extent. We'll, we'll give to an extent. But we also have to have all of our comforts. We've got to be sure we got the cable TV and we, everybody in the house has to have a cell phone and we're all drinking caffeine like crazy. And we all have all of these things that we could really cut back on. I'm going to tell you something. It affects you. Paul does not become the great Paul. He does not become the great preacher. Barnabas doesn't go out there unless when there's an opportunity given and say, hey, can you go help this new, there are some people getting saved. We're trying to establish a church. Can you help them go do that? And they say yes. They did not know what doors would open up for them. They did not know how it would impact them and how it would change their life. They just said, yeah, I can do this one thing. And then they go, and man, they get addicted to it, and it affects them personally. And it'll make you more bold in your witness here at home. Amen. It affects you. I'll stop right there, all right? I'll stop right there. I want you to realize, Christy was talking about the Navajo Nation. Very, very poor. We went through Colorado City. Uh, that's, that's right on the border of Arizona, on the Arizona side of Utah. You can go to Netflix and watch a documentary on that. I don't know if I should have said that or not. But that is a major polygamous community. A major polygamous community. We drove through there. We could see where they live. We could see the rundown buildings that were there. Major polygamous community. The Navajo Nation. Um, we, talked, we talked about riding through in the neighborhoods, but they made it very clear, big old sign, if you don't live here, stay out of here. So we did. And, but they have, every house has to have that little hut out there because it's a part of their spiritual worship. Darkness. Darkness. I want you to just take one little step and see what God does with it. Just one little step. You can always go to Disney World some other time. You can go to Gatlinburg. I started to say Opryland. Uh, you can go to Gatlinburg. What's the place in Opryland? Uh, Gatlinburg? Dollywood. You can go that some other time. Unless you're going there to preach the gospel. Let God use you. Let God take opportunities. And uh, let the gospel go forth. When you, when you go to the Philippines and you go into a little house where there's a beautiful family, I, I'm thinking of one particular home and two young ladies. Uh, their mother, I remember going in their little house. A ditch was right by their house. When it rained, it flooded into their house, just a dirt floor. Their walls were tin. 
their wood framing were sticks that had been tied together. And you see their little comforts. And you see that, you see those two young ladies who are faithfully serving the Lord every week with a smile on their face. Such a big smile. Angelica was one of their names. And you see them, and you meet their mother, and you have the opportunity to talk to mama. Dad's not there, but you're talking to mom, and you leave there, and, she's, and, and one of the girls said, oh, I wish I, I meant to get a picture with us with mama, and we go right back, and by the, I mean, we're not even gone three minutes. We get back, mama's gone. So where'd she go already? Well, mama had to go up into the mountain to work. I said, up in the mountain? I said, that mountain? It was a three-mile hike up in the mountain. We were there at 10 o'clock in the morning. She waited to meet us before she went to work. She would hike up the mountain three miles. She would make a three-mile hike and go up into the mountain and do the farming and then come back home for the evening. Smiles on their faces. Some of the husbands were not there because they were in Manila making $10 a day. And so they could not make the trip back and forth. They just stayed there for a couple of weeks at a time before coming back. And that is why, that is, I see Autumn, that is why Autumn's daddy always came back and thinking, we don't need everything we need. That's how it affects you. We don't need everything that we need. Things don't bring, bring joy. They bring a temporary happiness, but they don't bring joy. It affects you personally. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. When the opportunity arises, we're going to present some opportunities. When the opportunity arises, let's be a part of it. And uh, man, I'd like to see us make a difference. Let's have a pianist come, okay? Let's bow our heads. I don't know how the Lord spoke in your heart tonight.